Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing really good. You know, Sandy, I was looking at your Twitter profile recently and, you know, I don't go to your like... The best Twitter profile. <laughs> I don't go to it very often. And Ouch. <laughs> the, well, I see your post, right? I don't go to your actual page, right? No, I know. I and, don't go to yours either. A... <laughs> it's like what... <laughs> right. Social media is pretty much a one-way street for me. It's... I'm sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> Just <laughs> use it as my personal megaphone. <laughs> there is that. I mean, there's... Yeah, there's an element of like internal dialogue needing to get out. And if it doesn't get out somewhere, then you'll explode. Yeah. That's Exactly. But I, I, there's, there's just so many funny parallels in our lives, your life and my life that I'm just like, oh my God, we are so similar. And when I saw your banner photo, I died. I was like, (laughs) holy shit, Sandy, we are so similar. I fucking love it. I love it. No, no, Nora. (laughs) Nora, that's not a coincidence. Oh, no. You posted that photo on Facebook. And then I I think I commented something like, oh, my God, I love you forever. Or something. I don't maybe I didn't. Maybe I only commented in my head. because right. Otherwise, maybe you'd remember it. And I stole it and I put it as my cover photo because I loved it so much. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, this is a very uh, Toronto thing. <laughs> but... There were these little rulers that kids <laughs> in Toronto and I guess like Peel Region the whole and Mississauga GTA. were given. Yeah. The GTA, the greater Toronto area, were given when we were really young. And they were like those holographic kind of rulers. And it was when um, they were introducing the 905 area code, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So 905 being the area that surrounds Toronto, which is 416. And when numbers were just becoming, you know, more common to be uh, nine digits rather than seven. And so <laughs> we all got these little rulers that, you know, on one side of the hologram, it said 416. And if then you you shifted it into in a certain way and held it at a certain angle it said 905 and uh when when i saw you post that it just like brought me way back to i don't know grade three grade four (laughs) i was like this this is my new cover photo yeah i love it i love it i remember that that switch so well and my phone number going from being a 416 phone number to a 905 number and it was like very formative because it felt like you were really part of history in a weird way (laughs) I just remember my number going from a seven-digit number to a nine-digit yeah. number because it was at that point we started having to pin in four and six, and I was very annoyed by how many more numbers I had to memorize. For yes, all of that my is friends. true. Until I realized they were all the same number. <laughs> right, you get used to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, for everybody listening in Canada who still uses the five-number system, um, I think like what is that like Cape Breton only? You folks are still on party line, right? <laughs> sorry that's a joke okay (laughs) okay but also my twitter feed another important thing from my twitter feed is that i put out this message this week in a moment of frustration when i was looking at the news very nervous for all of my friends still living um in ontario just being you know seeing how terrible things have gotten in ontario how terrible things are um to the west of Ontario, really. Um, and I, I'm just like really nervous about what's going on mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. And so I posted to all the Ontarians out there, I hope y'all are ready to vote out uh, the Conservatives in, in the next election. 
And that tweet got quite a response. Um, and, you know, I have like papers to write, uh, a clinic to attend to, all sorts of things that I'm doing. So I couldn't respond to most, like I said, you know, social media is really a one-way megaphone for me. And so I couldn't respond to all of the things, but there were a lot of things that de- deserve some response. And I think that's kind of what we're going to get into today uh, on the pod. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, do we have any people to thank? Yeah, we totally do. So thanks everybody who has donated to the podcast, whether or not it's your first time or if you're changing your donation or if you're just a stalwart supporter of Sandy and Nora that uh, doesn't get their shout out because they don't change their, their pledges. Although, hey, you can change your pledge, like change it up or down, like buy a buck or whatever, and we'll, we'll show you out. Um, but this week, I specifically want to say thank you so much to Stephen, Ashley, Amelia, and Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Nora. So uh, what do you think? (laughs) I mean, all the shit that's happening, not just in Ontario, but everywhere. It's just like, I think that people are starting to feel really hopeless. I'm getting a sense of hopelessness coming through because, you know, I made this post and there are a bunch of people who are like, yeah, we're ready. And then there's some people who are like, okay, and what, um, vote in the liberals? Like that's going to make any difference. They're all the same. Uh, and some people saying like, don't you forget how terrible Kathleen Wynne was, or did you forget how terrible Kathleen Wynne was? Many of these folks seem to assume that there's only two parties. And then some people being like, we will never, ever vote in the NDP ever again because of what Bob Ray did, which is like, I don't know. They must be liberal trolls. I don't understand. But, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, the, 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 the overwhelming message is either, yes, we're ready to vote them out or none of this will make any difference anyway, and uh, we're all going to die, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just seems like like the death is inevitable. The politicians don't care about us. And that's just where we are. So thanks for the sentiment, but nothing we can really do here. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really difficult couple of weeks. I mean, in Quebec, uh, our cases have not gone up as high as Ontario and B.C., but I mean, in Quebec City, our cases have have tripled in a week, and so oh, like wow, yeah, our city Jeez. of seven hundred fifty thousand, we hit more than three hundred daily cases this past week on one day, and it's been riding in the high two hundreds otherwise. And it's really interesting because, you know, it, it actually most of these new infections go back to a single gym, a single guy who owns this gym, who's been an anti-lockdown activist from the start and who was widely known to be skirting public health uh, rules. There's, you know, pictures from inside the gym and he made all these pronouncements. And so the gym, like we're recording on Sunday and there hasn't been an updated number in two days, but, you know, you can imagine that the number has grown. But the gym had had triggered 141 outbreaks and 21 workplace outbreaks from people who frequented this gym. Yeah. And so that alone has propelled Quebec City into the stratosphere in terms of cases. You know, we we had a COVID test this past week because I had a a kid that was sick. Our school 
schools were closed down with no notice. I mean, we were standing at the school on on Wednesdays. Last day was Thursday before the holiday. And, uh, you know, it's like four o'clock or 4.30 on a Wednesday. And a dad <laughs> jumps out of his van and he's like, they're closing the school like a newsboy. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and the 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 this, the after school workers were like, no, 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 we're still waiting for news from the government. And he's like, no, the news is breaking right now now on Radio Canada, like it's closing. And then you look up and there's a fucking camera crew that is from Radio Canada that's like, uh, hey, uh, schools are closing. So it's it's been a really whirlwind thing. Wow. My kids are now like, being home, and there's a whole bunch of other red zones across the province. You know, people are agitating to have Montreal closed down, and um and so yeah, it feels super super desperate. I mean, there was a uh, a, a um a press conference with our mayor and he just looked so defeated and so depressed and there's just nothing that you can say like the measures are not going to stop someone who's cavalier and who doesn't care about following the the measures like that's the reason why broad scale lockdowns sometimes are your only option because things are so fragile and so you know we find ourselves here i totally appreciate that, you know, people are looking at the Brazilian variant and freaking out in British Columbia. People are looking at cases mm-hmm. rising in Saskatchewan and, and freaking out. And they should be, um, you know, a, a wave is going to come to Manitoba. It's only a matter of time. Alberta is in the grips of a new wave. And Ontario, of course, has been topping 3,000 new cases every day and uh, in the last couple of days. And the new measures are probably not really going to put the brakes on enough. And then we also now have doctors who've been really promoting the stories of their of their patients you know younger yeah. people who uh, are um, in the ICU who are on ventilators and who are dying uh, because they or or the someone that they live with is is exposed to covid in the workplace and so yeah it feels super desperate so this episode we're going to talk about like how do we force governments to take action who don't seem to be movable and and are these governments movable? I guess maybe that's the question we should be asking ourselves. How much can we move someone like Doug Ford or what kind of al- alternatives or options do we have to stop someone like Jason Kenney? Uh, what does this all mean for someone like fucking John Horgan that's just like continuously blaming young people rather than actually putting on the brakes within large industries as well? And, you know, he's apparently the progressive member of the lot. And how do we battle against this feeling of hopelessness when... We all see the end, but we're just so far from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, it's, it's so weird to be watching this also from Los Angeles where they're really doing an excellent job with the vaccines. Like I've told you before, Nora, that, um, there are so many surface level parking lots out here that are just being used just solely as vaccination centers. It's kind of amazing um, how massive this all is. When I went to get my vaccine for which I had an appointment, um, I went to a center where people could go whether they had appointments or not. And so there were two lineups. It looked like I was going to be there for uh, two and a half, maybe three hours. But I was there for about 15, 20 minutes. It was the fastest line wow. I've ever been in in my fucking life. And uh, it was it was just so amazing how it, in, you know, L.A. County, not everything is public like it is in Canada. You know, like I, I went and got my vaccination at a um, at a hospital. I don't know if this one in particular is uh, public, but there are some public and some not. Um, the, the surface level parking lots that are being used, they're not public, but 
the city council has commandeered like every single available space uh, or the county officials have commandeered every single available space um, uh, to to do the administration. And it's kind of amazing what's possible if you want it to be possible. You know what I mean? Like um, every single pharmacy is being used uh, to administer vaccines. We know that's not the case in Canada right now. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why can't we use them? Um, you know, schools, uh, which are all shut down still here, um, are being used as places to administer the vaccine. Um, why not? Those are public places uh, in uh, in Canada. And so, you know, the, the possibilities are there, but I can understand like the frustration. It's like, you know, if these possibilities are there, why is it that our politicians seem to be more concerned with clearing encampments or um, whatever other bullshit measures uh, they have to, to, to terrorize folks and to make sure that the rich stay rich off of uh, everything that's going on um, during the, the pandemic with the economy and not take care of all of this illness and death that people are going to be experiencing. And so, yeah, I see I, I can see how it's like, I hope, you know, if I say something like I hope in the next election, people are ready to people are like, what's the point? It's like, yeah, what is the point? You know, you, you elect people and they suck all the time. Then what's the point? I mean, the big thing that I kept thinking when I was seeing this message coming uh, back to me and it make I want to be clear, like it makes sense. Like that message makes sense of, of like, what is the point? Like it is extremely frustrating. We have a really shit system that we've been um, handed uh, to, to work within. But the thing is that we don't have to work in the way that the system expects us to work. Um, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, imagine our, our civic engagement to just be voting and then waiting and seeing what what happens. You know, Nora, I can't remember if we talked about this on the air or if we were talking about it before the air. I think it was before uh, last week um, about the, the different groups of people who have started to take it upon themselves to uh, where the government has failed uh, to uh, inform people and to... Um, to make it easy for people to get their vaccines and to figure out how to sign up and so on. There are groups of people who've taken that on themselves. Um, and uh, there are groups of people uh, here where I'm at who've, you know, even in a place where it's going really well, I think there's just about 40 people, 40% of people in LA County who've been vaccinated. Uh, people have, have commandeered buildings and have taken over um, different spots uh, to, um, to get, to start working with nursing groups and uh, um, uh, medical advocates to start administering these things um, uh, in, in, in their communities um, under their own uh, kind of purview to make sure that things happen in the way that they should where the governments are failing. And uh, to me, uh, whenever governments are failing, which is pretty much all the time, like we have to step in as community members to one, take care of one another, but to also be a little bit more uh, courageous and creative in forcing our governments uh, to to shift the way that they interact with us and uh, what they what they do on behalf of us. It's such a fallacy to imagine that what we have from our governments is all we can get from them. And for people's like 
immediate reaction to your comments online to be, well, what about Kathleen Wynne? Like as if fucking anyone's a fan of the liberal party, like they're a bunch of shit as well, actually. And fuck, so is the NDP right now. Like it's just different kinds of shit. So then the real question becomes, how do we understand what role the Ford government or the Kenny government or or Justin Trudeau, the federal government, is playing in this pandemic. And once you understand the role that they're playing, you can actually start to see a little bit better what kinds of access po- like to power people have and what kind of pressure points people have. And that's really important. I think it's fair to say that we have governments all across Canada, regardless of the stripe, that that frankly do not care about the the toll. Uh, the death toll that this pandemic has created. They do not care. If they cared about it, they would have stopped it. And not only would they have stopped it, let's say, after the first wave, they would have stopped it during the second wave, right, where they they could have, you know, let's say the first wave caught them off guard, which isn't even fair anyway, but let's be fucking ultra, you know, charitable to these people. They would have paid people to stay home. They would have achieved a policy of COVID zero, right, to actually try to get rid of all cases. No, they serve... The status quo and the status quo means profits at all costs, high profits at all costs, which is what we're seeing, and that uh, that those profits are protected at all costs. And that protection is really, really important because it means that the role of the state doesn't actually then enter into saving people's lives in long term care or saving workers lives within uh, public transportation or within Amazon or within Canada Post or whatever. That's the government doesn't care about those people. They only care about the Rogers, the Telluses, all of the resource extraction, all of the manufacturing that makes a ton of money, right? Look at like the meatpacking industry. These companies like JBS Meats, which operates in Brooks and had uh, Alberta, which had one of the biggest outbreaks in Canada. And of course, they operate around the world. That's a Brazilian company that's worth billions and billions in net profits every year. And so if we stop understanding the government as being inept or incompetent or making mistakes or, or even, you know, uh, just not getting it, because there's a lot of people I think still say like, well, they just don't understand. If only they understood. If only they knew that paid sick days would save money. If only they knew that they would enter. They would. They would. Um, they would enact that. And it's like, no, no, that they fucking know. They don't care. They don't care at all. They don't care that people are dying. They don't care that more people will die. And and they don't care that between now and June, the people who die were 100% savable, 100% savable. The people before now were, I mean, mostly savable as well, probably 100% savable too. You can look at the death statistics and see just how much more people have died in Canada. But, but, but here we are, okay, it's beginning of April. We've been talking about deaths in long-term care now since for a whole year. The first episode we did oh, this yeah. was on April 12th of 2020. And they mm-hmm. do not care. And so how do you change the opinion of a government that doesn't care? Do you vote them out? Do you vote in Kathleen Wynne because she cares or whoever the fuck is going to be leading the Liberal Party? Do you vote in uh, Rachel Notley because she cares? Do you support John Horgan because he cares? No, it has nothing to do with the personal orientation of these of these leaders towards whether or not they care or they don't care. If their orientation is saving the status quo, which all of them have have this orientation, then what we have to do is we have to find ways to disrupt the status quo to make it impossible for them to protect their friends because we actually have that pressure coming from the streets, from our organizations, from our unions within our workplaces that says, no, no, this business as usual bullshit. We are at month 14. It has got to end. 
Yeah. And, you know, we've said this before and I think, you know, it bears repeating and it's like, look, I I know it, it kind of feels shitty to hear this message, but I know that Nora recently you tweeted like maybe the, the teacher should just go on strike, have a wildcat strike. You know, there's these these um, reports uh, coming out of teachers uh, contracting COVID-19 while working now. And that's because of, of course, the unsafe working environments that they're working in. Um, And so maybe the union should be doing something about that and just forcing the hand of the government. And, um, uh, and even if the government doesn't respond, then at least, you know, you're doing something to protect the workers. And I know that that feels shitty to hear because in some ways it's saying, well, if the government's fucking up their responsibility, then you take responsibility. But there is another way to hear that, that suggestion, which is, you know, uh, in a situation where the government is literally killing us, we have to take matters into our own hands. It's not, it's not um, someone saying the the responsibility is on you, um, uh, in, you know, like you, you are the ones who are supposed to, uh, to, to supposed to, to solve this problem because of course you're not. But I do think that there's a way in which when you're backed into, um, an, an untenable situation, a situation in which you know that some of your colleagues will be facing down death. I think that that calls for some emergency meetings that calls for some emergency meetings and some emergency actions to be uh, taken coming out of those meetings where we uh, take take uh, the 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 matter into our own hands. You know, like if the government's not doing enough uh, with respect to the covid-19 response, what can we do uh, in, in terms of CERB, for example, what can we do? in order to stop evictions. You know, there's groups of people who are uh, trying to protect encampments. There are groups of people who are protecting apartment buildings where people, where eviction notices are being honored. You know, we, in Black Lives Matter, we've started a, um, a COVID uh, support fund where we're just giving out money um, to people with no strings attached. And it's, it does it solve the problem completely. No, but it does something um, that both exposes um, the failure of the government because it shows what's possible. You know, like you're telling me the government can't do this. The government can do this. So, right. We're showing people what's possible. Um, and uh, at the same time, we are not waiting uh, in despair because we can't, we can't, that will, that will just lead to more of uh, how we get to this place where we're feeling this, this sort of despair and um, uh, the, the inability to, to even really imagine what could be different. But I do think that we can take um, some of these matters into to our own hands. So uh, teaching teachers going on strike is an example. I mean, how could we um, force a conversation about uh, sick days? You know, clearly everybody's talking about sick days, but what if we just mandated them somehow? What if we just made it happen? What are some of the ways that we could see um, groups of workers coming together and saying, okay, well, in our workplace, we only have, um, you know, th- three, the, whatever is mandated um, in your jurisdiction as the, the maximum amount of sick days uh, per, per year. And actually, we're going to, uh, through a workers association or through something, um, we're, we've decided that we're going to 
uh, take the sick days when we want to and force it much like a union would. And maybe there could be unions that um, uh, that uh, offer to fund that fund fund people taking days off if they need to when they're sick uh, as part of forcing this public conversation. There are unions that have um, the money to be able to do that. So perhaps that's something that folks should think of. I'm just and I'm just spitting here like there's just there's I'm sure a bunch of different ideas that we could come up with um, in order to take these matters into our own hands. Um, But the point that I'm making essentially is that we don't actually have to wait until election time and only let the vote be the only thing that, you know, is, is at the action that we are taking um, given everything that we're experiencing mm-hmm. right now. Well, I think it's really important to go back to the, the, the question, why uh, are, are the two of us so focused on workplace action? Mm-hmm. Like, so we live in capitalism. We live in a capitalist system. Um, and it's, it was kind of funny. I, I had sent a copy of my, my draft manuscript for my next book to a friend of mine, and he called me this morning. And we had a very great conversation for about an hour about how in capitalism, of course, there's the public and there's the private. And it's in the private that we allow people to just manage their own lives. But this is a relatively new concept. There was no private concept in the way that we have it today um, before capitalism. And in that private, it means that, you know, the, the, the government has allowed private corporations, private families to just manage their own affairs, to police themselves and to, you know, in the case of the, of the pandemic, to allow uh, these corporations to decide what's good or what's not good in terms of how their, their employees are being treated. And, <laughs> you know, the thing about capitalism is it requires all of us to work. It requires us to be doing our work for the machine to continue forward. Teachers have to be in schools to allow uh, parents to be at work. Those parents are in manufacturing, they're in shipping, they're in government, whatever. They're doing jobs that continues to allow the economy to work. And when you're looking around and you're feeling really desperate because there's just no number of petitions or letters or die-ins or occupations, although those haven't been tried, or rallies, although those haven't really been that bothersome either um, that seem to work like again we have not gotten to the 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 um, total number of these possible tactics to really say that they aren't working but anyway let's just say for the sake of argument that we are well then you have to look at workplaces and teachers are really important location for us to consider this because this is a group of people who uh, are well paid in you know relation to other working class people, right? They're obviously not well paid compared to the rich, but they're well paid. They've got good job security, again, in relation to other working class people. Um, They've got very strong unions in relation to other working class people. And unlike other public sector workers like nurses or other healthcare workers who are considered essential, they can withdraw their labor and not kill somebody, right? Um, And so what happens when the teachers, let's say, look at a government that's refusing to close schools and the teachers are like, this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. You've got to close schools. Have to close schools. Have to close schools. And the government's like, we're not closing schools. Go fuck yourself. We're not doing it. And the teachers are like, we're not, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to. And the government's like, no. 
<laughs> there's literally one option left, and it's to use the, the the networks within unions to use those democratic structures to get everybody's buy-in to understand that next Tuesday, we're not showing up to work. We're just not going to go to work. And not only are we not going to go to work, but the school boards will be aware of this. The school boards will be able to arrange for the emergency child care, care that they had uh, back in the fall. Teachers are going to be willing to help sort that out, let's say. But by and large, you know, teachers are like, this pandemic... This this, this this spread is so dangerous. We're not going into work. You know, th- like it, it's 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 the only option, right? It's not just like this romantic. Oh, everybody should go on general strike. Everyone should go on general strike right now. But if anybody thinks that anything short of radical action is going to change the minds of a Jason Kenny or uh, uh, even a J- John Horgan or certainly a Scott Moe, fucking certainly a Brian Pallister, then then you just don't know how power works. And, you know, it's not good enough to to look at the system and be like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, yeah, it's been shitty for fucking teachers. There's no question. It's been shitty for everyone in healthcare. It's been shitty for government workers who've had to shift all their lives to working at home and get yelled at by people all day because they're not getting served, right? It's shitty for people at Amazon. It's shitty for people in logistics and shipping. It's shitty for people in meatpacking where, you know, the majority of the deaths have happened within meatpacking, within transportation, within workplaces where workers do not have the organization that other highly unionized workers have. And so, you know, if you are a worker that has this kind of power, you know, you start local, talk about your school, you've got the, the closest contact with your parents. And, and and community spread is a huge determinant about how dangerous something might be. So maybe you're in a community without a lot of community spread. How do you help a community that has a lot of community spread, like have those kinds of conversations? You know, to fuck it, we don't have to do online education. Maybe kids can just be off for two weeks and you figure out that emergency mm-hmm. child care for the people that need it. But everyone else, you just fucking be like, you know what, kids, you don't need to be in school. Fuck it. We're in a fucking pandemic. It doesn't matter if you are going to go into grade three and you're not reading very well. The whole system is going to have to adapt. Like for us in this moment to be like, oh, we, we just can't take radical action. Well, then you'll never take radical action. And you'll never change anything and you'll never scare the, the, the people who hold power in this country and they will continue to fuck you every single fucking chance that they get. Yeah. And I just wanted to um, to expand on a point that you just made. Like, you know, it's uh, it actually isn't about changing the minds of the politicians like who cares what they actually think, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's about forcing their hand or not needing their hands whatsoever. One of those two things is where we're at because um, the politicians have shown us over a year that they are, they're not going to be the ones to do the right thing. Right. So um, we have to um, either force their hand or just bypass their hand. And in doing these sorts of actions that Nora is, uh, is talking about that I'm talking about, that is how you force a hand. You, when you are making something impossible to ignore, that's how you force a hand. Uh, when you are embarrassing a politician so much that they have to take action, that is how you force a hand. And so uh, these sorts of actions, uh, what, we're, what we're, we're trying to impress upon you is that um, they they serve multiple purposes, right? Like they show um, the frustration. Um, you know, they they organize people, um, but they also um, have a function to have, like, to to create a public 
discussion, some sort of public discourse that can force a hand. If teachers refuse to work and that makes everything complicated for every other sector, that might just force the government's hand to do something. If workers decide, um, if the CLC, if, uh, you know, um, uh, a, um, uh, some sort of uh, provincially based uh, uh, labor union decides that they're going to fund uh, sick days for people or they're going to fund some sort of initiative, who knows, um, in such a way that embarrasses uh, provincial governments for not taking action where they should, that can force a government's hand. Uh, if if there is an action um, that is strong enough at protecting uh, people who are living in encampments, and I have I don't have an idea right now, but I'm just alluding to it. It can force the government's hand or force the government to no longer act. Um, and this is uh, no longer act to clear those encampments. And these these are the things we're talking about. Who cares about um, uh, you know, actually appealing to someone to change their minds. They already know, right? Like there's been enough discussion on all of these things so that people know that sick days save lives. People know that, um, you know, uh, uh, policing encampments where people have literally nowhere to go because the shelter system is full makes no fucking sense. Uh, people know that uh, we're we're in a situation where people in their workplaces um, is where they're most likely uh, to 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 contract um, COVID nineteen, and the government isn't doing enough to protect people in their workplaces. They already know that stuff, right? Like if their if their minds were going to be changed, it would have been changed already. So we need to move beyond the changing of minds and start forcing hands. Yeah, I feel like there's I don't know if it's a mental block or if it's people really giving government the benefit of the doubt or, or just not being able to kind of see that path towards forcing their hand. But I mean, now, like, I, I, I really just don't know if it isn't now, then nothing's going to show you that. You will never get a better work environment. You will never get a better collective agreement. You will never get a better work, a bunch of health and safety regulations. You will never change a, a labor code. Like, now is the time. Now is the time. And I want to I, I want to touch a bit on, you know, what are the roles that these organizations themselves need to be playing? So unions specifically, and then I want to talk about the NDP. So unions need to be seeing this and they need to be driving their membership and building their confidence. One of the things that I read a lot on Twitter today was how many teachers think that they're the most denigrated fucking profession in the world. And it's like, sorry, you're telling me that? Like, have you seen what my profession is? <laughs> no one likes a journalist and fucking no one likes a left wing journalist for sure. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if you're denigrated. That's not how this works. It works that like if, if the government did anything because they thought that they were going to be popular or unpopular by it, things would be completely different right now. It's about having the confidence to do what is right and to also recognize the power that you have as someone who might have a solid kind of job position or a job that's not going to disappear because they can't move it overseas or they can't hire someone at half the rate to replace you. Like, like you know, teachers, I go back to teachers because it's a world I know really well and it's it's one of the like the most solid positions. You can't be threatened with much. I mean, I saw people saying, oh, they're going to use that as an excuse to privatize. And it's like, they already are going to do it. Like, 
the unions have to be doing education and they have to be uh, really motivating local representatives to support radical action. And there just has not been enough of that, not even close. Like the, the most radical action that we've seen has mostly come from community-based organizations, organizations that work with migrant workers, organizations that work uh, with uh, warehouse workers who might be associated with a union. You know, there are some um, some unions doing really great work, but by and large, um, you know, it's it's groups like the the folks that are resisting reno, um, uh, evictions and folks who are supporting tent cities and, and folks who are on the front lines of the opioid crisis and helping with uh, support there. Th- that, that's where the radical action is happening. And they have no support. Mm-hmm. They have no resources. Like, you want to talk about how fucking burned out and tired you are? Like, do you know personally 10 people who've died in the past year? You know, like, there's a whole other world beyond um, the, the daily grind of going to a white collar job. And I'm not saying that there's no grind in that. Of course, there's a grind in that. Of course, you're going to feel burnt down. And of course, you're going to, I mean, burnt down. That's not really a saying, but I'll just, you know, recognize that I said that. Uh, but of course, <laughs> you're going to feel like this is just so brutal and no one's giving you a vaccine and you're on the last of the list and all this kind of shit. But, you know, recognize the vaccine wars over who gets vaccinated first. This is all an invention for people who think that the problem's just going to go away. And it's all done because of self-preservation that people don't want to get sick. And this is where the unions are very uh, foolish to play this game. That, you know, the vaccines are going to come when they come. We have to be critical of the Canadian government's overall vaccine rollout and and the vaccine targets need to increase every single day. But this game about whether or not this worker or that worker is more essential is pretty, frankly, ridiculous. It gets rid of the real issue, which is that people have to be in safe work environments. And if those safe work environments are not possible, then workers should be at home. And if they're at home, they should be paid. And so what are the steps that it needs to take for us to get there? And the unions have to play a critical role. But so too does, you know, official oppositions across this this country. And a lot of cases, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, the opposition is is the NDP. Um, And, you know, I don't know what the conversations are like between provincial NDPs or the federal NDP and, 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 and unions, but if the if the NDP is not like helping to juice up the system to support general strike or juice up the system to allow to build confidence among union membership to be able to to withhold their labor, then the NDP NDP is fucking guilty as well. Like. God, now is the time. It's the only thing that will stop people from dying. And so if we seriously want to stop people from dying, if you have any power at all in any of these organizations, if you're a leader among your workers, among your colleagues, and you can say to people, you know what, let's find a way to not go and work and let's actually fuck this system. Just slow it down. Just stop it for a little bit. Because the thing that would happen if, if you know, if we think about education, if there was a, a wildcat strike, the, the school boards would tacitly support it and the government would be absolutely like forced to support it. They would not legislate people back to work while cases were reaching 4,000 or 5,000 cases a day. You have to be aware of this context. But this is where these organizations need to do this education because it can be very scary if you're staring over the abyss and you feel like you don't have the support. And I really, really hope that 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 the people who listen to us who are leaders within their workplaces or 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 literal leaders within the labor movement or within the NDP start immediately thinking about radical action because obviously what has been tried so far is a failure. Yeah, and I mean for those of you who are in similarly 
fairly protected positions um, in your workplaces. And here I'm really thinking about academics. <laughs> like you should also be organizing in your um, in your uh, representatives' bodies. Um, most of you are unionized um, uh, to to support other unions and to support other folks um, who are requiring some sort of support to, protect, to, to potentially take action. And that can look like withdrawing your labor. Uh, if you were to withdraw your labor as well in solidarity as part of helping people to organize, give people um, access to uh, places in your faculty to organize, uh, whatever it is, if you were to, to take those sorts of actions as well, that's a part of creating a world where the government's hand can be forced or where you are creating the conditions for people uh, to take care of one, one another. Anywhere you are, if you are in a place where you have, if you are in a place where you have the sort of protection that allows you more than others to take this action, you can, you can, you can. And I know, like, I have been there. I've been in the place where it feels impossible and it feels weird to go against the grain and to do this sort of thing. But that's literally all it takes sometimes. It's just the flip of the switch in your brain that tells you that you can't go beyond the parameters of what we're told is the only thing that we can do, which is to sit and wait and that's what we've all been doing all year, right? Well, m some of us, right? Like m most of us have been sitting and waiting and wanting something else, like wanting there to be something else that we can do. We're, if you needed the permission, like Nora and I are giving you permission right now. <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is other things that you can do. The, 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 the difficulty, and I know this feeling, is the getting over... Um, you know, all of the things around you that tell you that you can't do more, that you have no power, that any initiative that you take to do something different will result in nothing. You know, I have spoken before on this podcast about my cousin who has a, another podcast called The Gritty Nurse, um, where she's been doing a whole bunch of uh, good advocacy um, uh, recently around um, you know, the, the, the pandemic around vaccinations, around how people who uh, work in nursing are being treated and so on. And I, you know, like I, I, uh, you know, without asking her permission, I'm just going to tell a little bit about how that all came to be. I'm sure she'll be fine with it. It, you know, a few years ago, she was like, you know, I wish there was more that I could do to like shift the way people <laughs> understood, um, the, the world of nursing and she's like, you know, I, you and Nora uh, do just this amazing stuff, but I could never do that. And I was like, w why? Why could why could you not do that? And she's like, I don't know how to do a podcast. And I was like, hey, I also didn't know how to do a podcast at one time. But there's like a world of resources out there. Um, you know, you're talking to me on the phone. <laughs> why don't we just have a conversation about it? 
And she was, you know, there was something in her that felt like a little bit of a block until it wasn't anymore, until it became possible. And then it was like, okay, well, I've started this podcast and now I'm talking about nursing. Do you think that's enough? And I was like, do you think it's enough? Do you think there's other things that you could do? And she started to, you know, be a little bit more active on social media and telling people about the sorts of things that they should be thinking of. And now she's able to reach a much broader audience and um, be a part of organizing in a much broader broader way, simply because she flipped this switch, this initial switch that was like, you, you don't know anything about this and you can't do anything about this to maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. I can, maybe I can talk to people and get people to understand. Maybe I can bring people together. Maybe I could, maybe I could. And then all of a sudden you are, you know, this, there's this, I don't know, this internal thing that we're all conditioned to just kind of just keep going with the flow and accept things as they are. And it is the biggest impediment to all of the ways that our society could be good for all of us. Yeah. And shout out to the Gritty Nurse podcast for reaching number two in the podcast charts for medical podcasts. I mean, that's amazing. Like there's CBC podcasts that fit into that category that they're beating. And so um, you should definitely Mm -hmm. check it out. You know, Sandy, while you were talking, I was thinking about the first time that I saw this in action, that I saw this Mm. moment where you're like, we cannot do this. And then we did it. And then you're like, whoa, we fucking did it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was 14. I was in grade nine in high school And I entered high school in Ontario at a time where there was massive teacher strife, right? It was actually back when teachers were ready and willing to go on strike. And so two years earlier, there had been a two-week general strike. And then, you know, I entered grade nine and there had been rotating strikes across the province, depending on where you were. And in my high school, uh, that meant that uh, we had periods three, four, five canceled. And so we had to just sit in the library, which was pretty funny. I mean, as a grade nine, it was like wicked. We just played boggle and fucking flirted with other kids in grade nine. <laughs> but there was this moment where um, like the, the message within the media was that st- the teachers were hurting students and that students were not supporting their teachers. Right. There was a lot of anti-teacher sentiment. And there was this movement within the Halton school boards, Halton Catholic school boards, which is where I was. Uh, to show our support for the teachers. And the way that we did this was this rumor mill started that if you supported teachers on Monday and it started on Friday, you don't come to school in your uniform. And (laughs) if you didn't wear your uniform properly in my high school, you would literally be sent home. And for all of the kids who didn't live near the high school, which was 80% of our school, like you were fucked if you showed up and you didn't have a uniform on, like really fucked. Like, like you'd be in the office the whole day or they would call your parents to leave work to come pick you up. It was a really strict school with our uniform. And I don't know how we were all convinced, but on that day where the flip, the switch was flipped to show our support with teachers, there wasn't a single kid in my high school. My, sorry, there maybe was one or two kids in my whole high school that was wearing their uniform. And this spontaneous action actually got into the mainstream press. And it was like, oh, students within the Halton Catholic School Board refused to wear their uniforms in support of their striking teachers. And, and it was like, no, they're not ruining our lives by not having extracurriculars. We actually understand that what they're doing is trying to improve our educational experience. And I've never forgot that. And I've always wondered, like, like as a grade nine student, like what gave me the confidence to just not show up to school in my uniform, which was 
sacrosanct. Like we could not do that. And we didn't. And we didn't wear our uniforms for four months. <laughs> it was so awesome. And so it's just like a minor situation like this. What in your life is is an example of this, that it's minor for you, but you've got this major block on being able to do it. But if everyone that you work with, all the people on your work site, all the people you're connected with, they did the same thing too. What kind of collective change would you actually be able to affect? And the key to that question is honest to God, just about confidence. Some of my favorite socialist organizers will talk on and on and on about the need to build confidence among people to take back that power. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's nothing better to build your confidence than to show up to school one day, not wearing your uniform and realize that literally everyone else has done the same thing and you are participating in this incredible mass action. (laughs) 